1: I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Before we jump in today, I want to remind you that the burn is just the tip of the wildfire iceberg, if I can mix metaphors there. If you come on over to wildfirecommunity.org, you will find all the rest of what we are up to behind the scenes. We publish a magazine every other month with 30 writers from the breast cancer community. We are hosting workshops, some of them are series, some of them them, our freebies. I want you to experience that. And we are also working on creating community. So come over to wildfirecommunity.org and sign up for our email newsletter so that you hear all the good things that we have got going on this year. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get into today's episode. I normally start off our episodes with a little story from my own survivorship, but today I want to get straight to our guest. She has a beautiful story that we published in our very first Canada only issue. Earlier this year, we published Canada's young survivors. And my guest today was one of the writers from this issue. Her name is Vanessa D'Souza. And I am going to tell you a little bit about her and then turn the mic over to her to let her read her story. Vanessa is a pediatric physiotherapist. She's a mother, a daughter, a sister, a niece, a cousin, a partner, a friend, a neighbor. She's an advocate, a community engager, and a lover of life. She's joining me today from Calgary, Alberta, where she lives with her two sons, Kai and Tay, has a beautiful and large family in the greater Toronto area and has a devoted partner, Rick, in Vancouver. She's also a proud and involved alumni of McGill University in Montreal, Quebec. Vanessa, there is so much more to your bio, and we will get into all of it after your story. But right now, I do want to welcome you to The Burn. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you, April. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So as I said at the start, you were a part of our brand new first-time-ever Canada issue, and the reason that I put together this issue was two reasons. One, I have a new team member in the last year who lives in the Toronto area, Emily. She has been helping um, with all sorts of things on Wildfire, but one of our goals was to expand our outreach into Canada. I'm based in California Monica is our other team member here, is also in California, but as I've been growing Wildfire, I have also been noticing more and more subscribers to the magazine, people coming into Wildfire who are living in Canada. And so we wanted to do an issue that was very specific to Canada to highlight some of the differences maybe between, you know, geographic locations, but also to highlight how alike we are too. And your story is such a great example of both of these things. So I'm rambling. I want to turn the mic over to you. You are here to read a story that you called Bindies and Bangles, Onions and Shamectomies. And after you read, we are going to chat. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, Vanessa, I'll let you take it away. Thank
2: you. Who would have guessed that the only option for the COVID-19 era surgery date for my bilateral mastectomy with tramp flap transfer would fall on my 45th birthday? Karma? Divine influence? I still don't know. I'm still shedding all the onion-like layers the last year and previous years have presented to me. However, I do know this. The divine was present in every step and every decision I, my family, my community, and medical team were a part of. My family asked my surgical team to pause for a moment of silence at 1351 hours, the minute of my recorded birth during this 14 hour surgery. And they did, offering good thoughts to this person laying before them. What could be more auspicious? This divinity, also called intuition, my guiding light, gut instinct, my knowingness, has been with me from a very young age. I have a doctrineed Roman Catholic upbringing, most likely the daily ritual of reciting Mother Mary's rosary prayer with the family fine-tuned my Star Trek TNGs, Deanna Troy's empathicness. In South Indian and Asian culture, this kind of intuition is honored as the third eye, also known as the Anja Chakra or Bindi. Hindu tradition believes that all people have an invisible third inner eye between the eyebrows. The belief is that the two physical eyes are used for seeing the external world while the third focus inwards towards God. My late Nana was a devout Catholic The intuition and knowingness she had was likely inherited from before our Portuguese colonial empire era. She and my mother did not wear bindis. In fact, upon the family's arrival to Canada in 1970, all homeland clothing and language were concealed or discarded by choice. We only look forward and not backwards. With the exception of births, weddings, deaths, and anniversary, regardless if they were alive, ritual prayers had to be done. We must assimilate to our new culture and no child in the next generation should enter the school system speaking a language other than English. We need to fit in and have our child of color integrate into this new world. For some of us, this caused confusion so, do we honour our ancestors and some of our traditions, such as our curries, prayers, hearing a strange language that was only spoken by the elders but not to the children? Or are we supposed to become a stereotypical Canadian? I'm so confused. What is the strange feeling I have here? Oh yes, it's shame. So it begins, shame at the onset of my birth. I was a tall for her age brown girl living within the mainly European, Italian, Toronto neighborhood of Rexdale in the 70s and 80s, who was encouraged to love thy family first, yet still dismissed the language of my ancestors, traditional clothing and jewelry, and anything that wasn't considered Western approved. There was scolding if I had too much fun in the sun on a beach holiday. You don't want to be dark. Lighter skin is far more attractive. This little girl was hyper-obedient, and shame of my culture flourished, along with embarrassment over the darker skin pigment at my joints and scars, my height and size, and my overall physical appearance. I wanted to be anything but South Asian. There was a time I referred that my family was from the Portuguese part of India like it was a badge up from the mainland folks. Over the years, I learned insidious shame juxtaposed with deep love for family thrives in many cultures, in homes of immigrant families. My family was no exception. What would others say? What would others think? Vanessa, darling, you must keep this matter quiet, because we wouldn't want the gossip or evil eye cast upon us by the community. This led to a myriad of shames, which were hid under the proverbial rug. Not meeting expectations, not being religious enough, not being healthy, disappointments with not following the preconceived life plans. Yet on top of that same rug, lived gossip. Gossip about the failures of others, not meeting expectations, abuses, anti-religiousness, people's health. Shame on them, they must have brought it upon themselves. Shame on them, they are cursed. No, actually, shame on us. I adhere to my parents' plan for me, somewhat to get a post-secondary education, to wear the traditional gold bangles, chudis on my wedding day, to be a working professional, have children, follow the church, and then have and do it all while caring for aging parents and in-laws. I met them at some fronts, completing a degree with a scholarship, marrying and having children, and meeting some of my professional goals. However, I started to shift in early adulthood. I started questioning my established religious teachings, marrying outside our culture and religion, craving exploration and autonomy, questioning the notion of perfection, all while holding tight to that young shame so deeply rooted within me. Who would have known that these high expectations paired with South Asian shame and perfectionism would contribute to the breakdown of my marriage. OMG, a divorce in the family? And thus began the storm of secrecy within both families and community, both locally and back home. My parents stood by my side with love and grief, but I still suffocated tremendously at the most trying time of my life, with my babies aged one and four in tow. The scarlet letter was permanently imprinted at this time. Yet still, with my knowingness, I chose the difficult road less traveled by my culture, embracing the world of experts, new faith habits, and starting the seemingly impossible journey of not caring what others might say a modern way of divorce, balancing and respecting myself and my roots, I told myself. I chose Wonder Woman motherhood by not moving back to Ontario with my parents and kept my single parenthood struggles and achievements to my inner circles, my therapist, my church community and legal team. Yet I still faced critics, got the looks and likely much pity from those who didn't understand or didn't want to understand this forbidden path. I was gonna do it all, all on my own. I'll show them all. Yes, yes, this is shame in disguise. It took me some time to discover this was still me aiming for perfection. By tuning out the shamers and others who didn't support my journey, I felt many more onion layers fall off and a few more they started to fall off more easily. As they peeled away, I felt a new confidence emerge. That shifting knowingness will always happen within the gifts of trauma and upheavals. Ah, finally, I thought, a transitioning me. I thought a new butterfly emerged from the cocoon back then. Yay, I'm finally moving to the permanent version 2.0. But, wait... One day, this empath came across an unusual tiny mass in one of her recently growing fibrotic premenopausal breasts, exactly 0.6 centimeters on the left. Radiology even commented on the spectacular nature of the discovery. I would have needed to lie at a particular angle and palpate a certain direction. A needle in the haystack, per the cliche, it would have not been found standing in the shower, a typical place to conduct self-exams. Divinity Part A in 2001. The plethora of appointments and tests ensued, complete with information overload, research, fear, decisions to be made, preparations. It was a hurricane. Yet, this butterfly was there flapping as needed and found a peaceful glide during this time the knowingness was so aligned and present. Divinity part B and onwards did not stop there. Intuition told me that withholding the initial news from my family for about six weeks would set in motion the most de of this onion I've ever experienced. I didn't want their grief to cloud my decision process and felt I could share with them when I had more concrete answers, tangible, and factual information offered some some degree of predictability, not only for them, but also for me. This disclosure suddenly made it real, finally unhinging my anguish into the world. Yes, my healthcare background gave me some medical insights and I tended to interact with my care providers like colleagues and vice versa. I knew how to analyze the outcomes and risks And I'm resourceful and know how to advocate. Once I obtained and organized all the information in my mind and temporarily made peace with the fear and grief in my heart, my guiding light somehow determined my options that I eventually chose. Who would have guessed choosing an optional bilateral mastectomy would yield an additional tinier emerging mass on the preventative side as well? Who would have guessed that the immediate reconstruction would have been an option for me only during a small window during the pandemic? A few months later, all elective surgeries were postponed due to the Delta wave. Who would have guessed that after nine years of high conflict parallel parenting, communication with my ex-husband would transform into healthy interactions while raising our two boys. Nothing like a near-death event to focus What's important, eh? Who would have guessed that a random and early self-detection with low enough oncotype scores allowed me to bypass chemotherapy and radiation? Who would have guessed that armies of 10 and 13-year-old boys and their families would show up with quilts, body pillows, cookies, dairy-free, gluten-free crock pots, and proudly write my name for the first Terry Fox walk at school after my diagnosis. And who would have guessed a health scare like this would humble aging, loving immigrant parents to their knees, virtually watching three provinces over before COVID-19 vaccinations, that their firstborn would face an unimaginable challenge with no local family support surrounding her. And predictably, like the expected drunk uncle to the family party, shame arrived as well. Don't tell anyone in the family. I allowed myself to create a community of authenticity and transparency in my networks in Calgary and beyond. Thank you, Zoom video chatting more layers falling off living closer to my best life yes today there are still family and community members who still don't know will they find out who knows maybe maybe not most importantly who cares this work in progress butterfly is still unlayering by speaking to her shame ectomy to her experiences as a child of immigrants in a culture where shame continues to run rampant. Could cancer be a result of the shame growth? Could cancer be excreting cancer? Sorry. Could shame be excreting cancer as a symptom for us to witness? I am an anomaly, as my geneticists revealed. No family genes in your profile. Maybe environmental. Definitely a fluke. Phew and wow and why as i delayer, the shame will wither and not be passed on i own my experiences i own my failures and accolades i own my dark skin i own my culture and who i am i own how the shame bubbles up to the surface especially in challenging times most recently during this breast cancer detection I suspect it won't be the last time it will creep into my universe. I do know now is the time to talk about it. I wish I had a magic solution to offer children of immigrants here. We toggle between living from the learnings of the old world where we were taught to respect and changing the course for ourselves and the next generation. There is such a dichotomy of values that live in the sacred space. They exist in synchrony, but not completely in harmony, at least for me. How do we change this? Do we change this? Oh yes, darling butterfly, more awareness to be had. Shame, onions, and divinity at all. Mm -hmm,
1: Vanessa. That was such a beautiful story. Thank you so much for it. And what a treat to hear you read it to us today. So thank you so much. We are gonna take a quick break here for a testimonial. And when we come back, Vanessa and I will chat and get into some more details of the story and take it beyond there as well. Hello, I'm Katie. I was diagnosed with lobular primary breast cancer, stage two
0: estrogen positive, November, 2019. Um, Throughout my year and a half of treatments, I wrote in April's wildfire workshops and have found the process completely transformative. I've written something now to try and capture in words how I see that process working. I can see in words where they come from now and where they're going. There are spirals endlessly going over and back, reaching forward. The movement I see is black ink effortlessly moving into the future from the past. Sentences are salved to me now, salved to old hidden wounds, bringing them out into the open so they can appear on the page, be acknowledged, seen, and healed. I see this movement of ink and shapes going backwards and forwards through my life. Soothing, opening, smoothing, leaving nothing unseen, because I'm wide enough and deep enough to soothe all my past hurts you know that now. Thank you April. Thank you wildfire.
1: All right, welcome back Katie. Thank you so much for the love. Vanessa, let's turn back to you and your story. Thank you again for writing this powerful story and for reading it to us here today.
2: Oh, thank you. It was such a pleasure and um to be here and share my my story
1: to everyone. Absolutely. So let's um I guess let's just start right there. I this story came out a couple months ago. We published it in an earlier issue this year, 2022. But before that, you know, it takes some time to put the magazine together. So I'm wondering if it's been a little while since you visited the story and and how it was for you today reading it.
2: You know, I I feel reading the story today um gives me an opportunity to reflect back on the last year. We, um, we experience and I, th- I think we experience and uh, reflect on these big life moments differently at different stages. So here I am just about a year and a half after the surgery, definitely a year and a half after my diagnosis. And I feel like I am in a different place. I mm-hmm. I think the last year, while I was off from work, recovering from the surgery and coming to terms with the diagnosis made me had had resurfaced um, much of old wounds that that came up. and it was very freeing to be able to sit with you um, during one of our one of the like one of the, uh, the sessions, the writing sessions that we participated in. Um, yes, a pop-up workshop. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that sparked something within me to be able to finally write something, um, write write something down that that has been nagging at me for quite a while. Um, mm. And and it was really around the topic of shame and secrecy. Yes, and. And the impact of how this is so ingrained in so many cultures.
1: Yes. Well, I, I love your story for a number of reasons. One um, is because I'm always pushing people to find the story that only they can tell. And I think you did this so beautifully. You told a breast cancer story that was rooted in your life experience, your family experience. And there was no one else who could tell that story. You know, even if you had a sister who had breast cancer, her story would be slightly different. Like you really went to the heart of your experience. And like you just said, at the heart of that experience is a story of of uh, learned shame, right? And shame that grows out of culture, out of family and out of just um, a human experience. I think there's no one walking around who is free from having this experience of shame. And I guess what I to to hammer home is how writing this story and peeling that onion, you had this beautiful, Metaphor of onion in your story, but it's so meta because the writing of the story is also peeling the onion, right? And we're talking about a story with shame in it, and in order to write a story with shame in it, you maybe have to experience the eradication of shame to write it. Like it's, I'm, tr- I'm, I feel like again mixing metaphors, but it's almost like a snake kind of chasing its tail here, you know, where it goes round and round. It
2: is, and you know what? Reading the story, and now, and and hence after it's published being uh and conversed with a few different people um it's remarkable across most cultures um this this topic of shame is is quite flamboyant and and mm-hmm. they were able to relate to this to some degree or another um may not necessarily hiding uh like a specific diagnosis or sure. or hiding a hiding um, like a big life event, for example. Um, but it, but it, it comes down to the root of expectations and, and, oh, you got cancer because, uh, you didn't eat healthy or you Mm -hmm. got cancer because you didn't exercise enough or, or because of the way you manage stress or your job or this, this is quite prevalent in many aspects of our society. And, and I, again, like in my story, I don't think this is something that we can um, avoid or or fix mm-hmm. overnight. Um, but I definitely feel it is a topic worth exploring because I do not think it's discussed nearly enough in in I our agree. everyday li- lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the more we discuss it, the more courage we give to others to discuss it as well. And the more we normalize these feelings of shame, it really eradicates it because there is no, there's no hiding. There's no place for it to be when we start to be vulnerable and we start to open these windows onto our stories and share them with one another. I want to bring this to um, the work that you do. I was noticing um, in your bio, I didn't read this part yet, so I wanted to share this here, but I know that you work with children. And it um, in your bio, you said that you take a family-centered approach because you know that the overall health and outcome of a child is guided by the family's well-being as well. And I couldn't help but think about this as you were reading your story. And I want to, I guess, ask you about this idea of family well-being as it relates to ch- you know childhood health but also in your story in general just this idea of transparency reparenting and moving away from stories of shame in terms of just having overall health in general i agree
2: i feel very blessed to have a very long career at uh, at the, at our, our local children's hospital in calgary and and i Over the years, I have found that when I sit and really understand the family, the family dynamics, the cultural influences, their fears, their goals, um, can we really start establishing what they want for a new diagnosis, be it a simple orthopedic issue to something very complex that would be a life changing event for? a child or the entire family. I am just a person. uh, I am just one person in, in these families journeys in, in, in their health experience. And, and I, and I took this experience and really understood this well in my own experience, um, Mm -hmm. looking at, Okay, I am not looking at the diagnosis per se. Uh, it's not just a s- like strict medical approach. We want to, or I, I feel, I want to provide to this family. It is really looking at them quite holistically. What are what are their what are their um, what are their fears? What are their goals? What are they passionate about? And how can I? be a member in their health team to support that, not necessarily fix that. And, and having that language as a patient myself in my health journey last year really tended to the idea of a more like sort of control, like almost a controlled way of me taking ownership of my health
1: And advocating Mm -hmm. for myself. Yes. I love that. And this idea too of, you know, these long threads going back to your childhood and back to, you know, again, shame stories and things like that, that we embody, we can't help but embody, um, you know, and start to come to the surface when we have a really big diagnosis, like a breast cancer diagnosis, it, it forces us to confront the things that maybe we have pushed down pushed away um, and i just i just love the the idea of the work that you do being so holistic and that you get to bring it to your experience of your own breast cancer and get to like i said kind of reparent yourself in maybe this way that eradicates some shame so you don't have to take it forward maybe
2: Agreed. And, you know, as, I mean, as we walk this earth and as we shine light on these vulnerabilities, these uh, insecurities, the sh- these shames, I do feel there is a lightness that we can move forward in. And certainly this yes. is my story. And um, I'm nowhere near finished my story on, on this earth. There's much I have yet to do for my own family, for my own children, through my profession. Um, but, I, but I do think having this level of comfort in my skin um, and knowing what I wanna tackle and what I don't is also um, a position of wisdom that I've, mm-hmm. I've experienced. Um, I'm not here to change the world. I'm here to, to shine a light, be the best version of myself, be as healthy as possible that I, I can have in my control, and then to be able to share these, these gifts with others. Be, I love that. Yeah. Be it, be it in my personal or professional world.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, and my last question for you, you've just brought us to it so perfectly, but I wanted to ask you what role writing plays in your life right now, and maybe, you know, how would how it will play a role in this next chapter as you move forward? To
2: tell you the truth, I don't know. I, I, I don't feel I'm much of a writer. This was actually quite new for me. I'm an avid mm-hmm. reader. Um, and, and being an Aries, I, I am a doer, <laughs> so very action-based. But I, I do think sharing, um, this story, um, may spark a, a creative side of me, whether it's for personal journaling, um, and, and then maybe landmarking some of these big events so that it'll be easier to share these stories with my, um, my children and, of eventual eventual growing family.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that. I mean, and this, again, it just goes to this idea of changing patterns, rewriting cycles, you know, moving your family story away from one of embodying shame, maybe, you know, in simply just telling your children the story of what you've experienced, you know, and how their story can be something a little bit different.
2: I really love um, uh, Mahatma Ga- Gandhi's saying, "Be the change you want to be in the world," and and it is it is it is changing it is changing the mentality um, and discovering new versions of yourself uh, in your own home and in the people that you interact with on a day to day. And I know when you know I am a child of an of immigrants. And my story is completely different than theirs when they arrived to Canada, you know, almost 50 years ago, and and my children's story are going to be completely different than my experience, um, and I and I think what I can teach them and other younglings in our in our sort of in our growing families that. There are things that we can bring from from the old world, like some of some of the the beauty and traditions that we can continue to embed into our values, um, but still seek to learn and change because this is the nature of, I think, our countries, uh, and this is where the similarities lie between Canada and our our cousins in the United States. We're we're countries of immigrants, and and we are building this these nations in in the hopes of 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 true partnership uh, of diversity and inclusion, and to be able to understand this is um, is part of, part of the story of the storytelling, and mm-hmm. and I and I hope my story. Can be just one example that that people can um, try to understand um, of of these cultures and where where we come from.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's really important, and I was struck by as you were saying, you know, it was bringing me back to to parts of your story where you talked about this need to be independent and this fiercely independent streak that I think runs through. Um, I'm sure runs through immigrant families. I can't speak to that personally myself, but I know that's a a very Western, you know, idea that we be so resilient. But I find that that's what um, that that cuts us off from community. It makes it hard for us to ask for help when we need help. And we're actually stronger when we are interdependent and we do look to others for help. And so I feel like, you know, the sharing of your story is also some of that dismantling of that you have to do everything alone, you know, and you have to do it only um, behind closed doors where people can't see it happening, Um yeah I guess there wasn't a question embedded in
2: that. <laughs> I completely agree uh, you know and and that is the that is the notion like i do I do feel there is such pressure in society in in success in expectations and and self self- achievement that mm-hmm. um that 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 could uh be an element of how the shame can flourish. I know from my right. personal story. I started shedding that a long time ago, understanding the notion of community, be it, be it blood related or not through my neighbors, through the family that I've chosen in my community. um, It, uh, it yields itself to like, like a greater source of support. Um, These, these Support groups, these uh, sharing groups, uh, workshops, um, where where you build the sense of vulnerability again, and and that that arena of sharing yields to such deeper, deeper connection, and 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 it sparks growth that you would never imagine. Like I, I couldn't believe the. The outpouring of love and support, you know, upon my diagnosis um, mm. after, um last year, just from my neighbors and school community and work community alone, it 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 yields to su- like surprising new relationships and deeper yes. relationships. and And in that, you know,
1: you feel less alone exactly. and stronger for it. absolutely. Uh, well Vanessa thank you so much um, for being here today for everyone listening you can read Vanessa's story in our Canada's young survivors issue again her story was called Bindies and bangles onions and shameectomies thank you so much I'm April Stearns and you've been listening to the burn the burn's a production of wildfire magazine where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 37 issues in the Wildfire archives and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. Don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. Finally, here is today's writing prompt. I want you to set your timer and write without stopping or editing. Here's the prompt. This is the way things are now. This is the way things are now. And I want you to do something interesting with this prompt. I want you to begin on your page with this, and then I want you to begin each paragraph in the same way, and then have it be your closing sentence. This is the way things are right now. And this might be very literally uh, what it looks like for you in your life right this minute, or it might be this season in life and you're taking stock of what's around you. Either way, there's no right or wrong answer to a writing prompt. Eight minutes write without stopping. This is the way things are right now. See what needs to come out and where it will take you. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.